That's it. I'm getting 100 cups of coffee, starting now. There can be 100 people in the room and 99 don't believe in you. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Six more. Uh, I see now. That's 84. And 15 plus 2, 100. For the war, against the war, who cares? 100 episodes. The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Men Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Minuscule desk discussion. I'm here joined by Third Men podcast co-founder James Kaminsky. James, so nice of you to join us in the studio today. Thank you for having me on uh, on your radio podcast show. What is this? This is PRN's Minuscule Desk Discussion. Oh, oh yes. Um, it's been a lifelong dream to be on Prens uh, and your tiny small insignificant desk no it's not the tiny desk you can't you can't call legally you can't call it the tiny desk i'm gonna have to ask you to do that audio again but please call it the minuscule desk i would like to thank the academy your inability to execute this reminds me of our first topic and it's we've been getting a lot of letters here at prn expressing displeasure with you james as a co-host of a jack white history podcast you've been doing this for 100 episodes yes and i I still don't quite know how to use a microphone properly. Uh, I am leaning in to kiss the microphone. Yeah, microphones like to be whispered at and talked to and not yelled at. The statistics that came out today in the Wall Street Journal say that listeners of the Third Men podcast suffer from what is only described as ear epilepsy, and that's a result of you, James. And would would you like to address that for the public? They what? (laughs) I'm sorry, they, they what? I've, I've been told you're going to play a song for us today, James, off your jazz fusion record, Mambo Number James. Would you like to give us a little bit of background on the song, James? Yeah, um, yeah, I would love to. Uh, Mambo Number James is what you said, right? I think that's the song, and um, it's 
my tribute that's to correct. that's the song yes uh to Lou Bagel's famous song Mambo <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like to perform it's, a little bit it's of called, it that it one's me. Mambo number five I think you just called it Mambo I uh, I had the pleasure of watching your eyes dart back and forth as your brain scanned for the name Lou Vega and I'm still not convinced it's Lou Vega I, <laughs> I think I said Lou I think I said Lou Bagel tell us how you wrote Mambo number James well it starts off with um, a little bit of episode one we talk about the white stripes a little bit of episode two we talk about the steel a little bit of episode three we get into some weirder territory a little bit of episode four we continue on that track a little bit of episode five we get into some turkey salesman a little bit of monica in my life a little bit of episode I don't remember what number I'm on. I'm going to restart a little bit of episode one, and we talk about the white stripes. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your controversial, what you've called shrieky saxophone. What is the difference, would you say, between a saxophone and a shrieky saxophone? A shrieky saxophone is when you play the saxophone wrong. It's when you put the big end on your mouth and the little end (laughs) on your hand. (laughs) Alright, that's enough of that. It's been 100 episodes! Welcome to the Third Men Podcast! Is this a celebration introduction, or are we just quiet now? That was the bit. We're out of the bit. I'm your co-host, Paul Kabinski, and this is a Jack White History Program. And I'm joined, as always, by... Your co-host and Lou Bagel uh, fanboy, (laughs) James Kabinski. Paul, it's wonderful that we've reached this milestone of an episode. And I can't believe it. I'm going to sing my hit song, Mambo Number James. Hit it. A little bit of episode one. We do the white stripes. A little bit of episode two. It's to steal. A little bit of episode three. It's we're weirder it wasn't now. To steal. A little bit of episode second. four. It's about turkeys. This sloppy intro comes courtesy of episode 100. We're so. So happy to be with you today to introduce the following audio, because we have a very, very special show in store for you. Yes, we do. We've been breaking down since day one. Why don't you explain, James, what we mean when we say breaking down? Sure. We've been breaking down in the sense that we've been getting things constantly wrong. Constantly. But we've always asked you, the audience members to correct us when we get something wrong and when you correct us we try to put that correction in the show in a segment we call stop breaking down and that segment is us fact checking after the fact (laughs) you know getting after the fact checking i like that (laughs) (laughs) yes so it's it's us making amends so that you can get the best information there is about third man records and jack white yeah that uh, our googling has failed you on this episode what we've done and i'm delighted to say it was his idea uh we're bringing you another extended interview with third man records co-founder and third man records now co-owner with a minority stake in the company mr ben blackwell mm who is back on the show in a segment he pitched to us 
called. Can we call it Back in Blackwell? Back in Blackwell's not bad. I was he wanted to call it Ben's Blunders, but I was thinking Ben Blackwell breaks it down. Okay, that's good too. Nemesis of the show, Benjamin Chandler Blackwell, uh, has joined <laughs> us again, and we are. We are thrilled to have him on. Yeah. This episode comes with its very own special stop breaking down, Paul, in that our audio equipment broke down. Yeah. Well, so I should say what we've done with this episode is we've gone through and cherry picked, I don't know, maybe about 50 or so instances where we got something wrong and we corrected it in our segment, Stop Breaking Down. So what we've posed to Ben is what we got wrong, mm-hmm. what the correction was, yes, and then a question to Ben to expand upon it a little bit more and mock us for, for being so incorrect. So that is the premise of this episode. It's going to be very interesting. And as James mentioned, our equipment <laughs> broke down horribly during the timing of this interview to the point where half of this interview is me and Ben and half of this interview is James and Ben so we're actually going to tag team this one at about halfway through yes. I'm going to go ahead and tag James and that's what I was going to say let's not box this in as us screwing up let's make something out of these lemons uh, make some money out of it at least Yeah. Ooh. not making uh, just legally we have to say we are not making money out of this yeah, no no definitely not please uh, support your local third man record store yeah, what I was saying is we should frame it as, uh, you know, you tagging me in like you just said. It's, it's like a boxing match, Paul. You're going in there, you're the good fight with, with Ben Blackwell. And then uh, when you get tired, you could just tag me in, and then I'll, I'll jump right in. And I won't insult you. Yeah, the opening bit to this probably should have been boxing instead of the weird NPR thing I literally thought of on the drive home today. But I think... <laughs> um, I think we've already used boxing a few times with the co one, so we just didn't. Oh, the bits, the bits that Paul comes comes home with. <laughs> we have JZ. That's a favorite. And That's a favorite of mine. <laughs> fan favorite JZ. <laughs> and the NPR uh, one. Anyway, Paul, sorry. This is a sloppy intro. I I apologize. Yeah. Well, look, uh, we're gonna say this. I think a lot this episode, but. We can't believe we made it to 100 episodes. We can't believe you've supported us all through 100 episodes. We want to thank you very much. And Ben Blackwell wanted to be with us here to celebrate that and to celebrate you all for listening to the show. And as we said, you know, Ben had the idea, Ben's blunders. In fact, I think he originated it during our last interview. And then we were talking over email and Ben, you know, had this great idea to participate and asked to participate. And he's he's been so wonderful and supportive for us. So we really... We thank him a great deal, and we're really excited to present this special. Ben breaks it down for you all. But, James, before we get to all of that... (gasps) Paul, did you fall in love with the show? I did! (laughs) Oh, it's fell in love with the show. James, would you like to tell the people what fell in love with the show is? Yeah, it's when we, the hosts, go out and uh, experience a Third Man Records-related show, and uh, we can relay that information to you here in this segment, because we've done Fallen in Love with a show. We're very excited this episode, at least I am, to bring to you a special Fell in Love with a show, something I experienced last night. James, this past couple days, it's the first time ever in my fandom where I've seen a Jack White show on subsequent nights. One night, 
two nights crazy i was shocked that you were there because you had texted me and mentioned that you were going to try because it might not have been in the cards for you and then i get a text at probably i want to say midnight my time uh, <laughs> sorry and it's sorry a picture uh, uh it's a picture of jack white uh and i'm like oh god he made it and then i went to bed so this is the <laughs> first time i'm actually hearing about any of this paul i want to hear it all yeah come on let the gossip spill come on so we should mention for future listeners that at the time of this recording the raconteurs help us stranger tours kicking off here in the united states of america and the shows i saw on june 26th and 27th the first of which was the amoeba records house show and signing where i got to meet the band meet the raconteurs and watch a, a brief I guess you call it brief. It's about a half hour set that they performed at the uh, at Amoeba Records, which we will actually talk about on a later episode because we're going to bring Tom Valente hopefully on and talk to Tom a little bit about that experience because Tom was there with me and he saw the show and and the signing as well. And so we'll we'll talk about that one a little bit later on. But then James, as if that wasn't enough, the next morning I got a text message from both you and Yvette Wilkins, Wilkins on Sunshine, listener of the show, and it was the announcement that Jack and the Raconteurs were playing a secret surprise show at the historic Jules Catch One on Pico Boulevard out here in L.A., and I gotta tell you, James, when I saw those text messages come in, I was immediately filled with anxiety because, A, I was exhausted from (laughs) sitting on a sidewalk for six hours the day before (laughs) and then uh, watching this show and, you know, going crazy. And, you know, at a Jack show, I felt like I did, like, four hours of cardio because I was jumping around and sweating like a pig and all that stuff. And and then I was thinking, oh, my God, it's it's his first come, first serve – you can only buy tickets at the venue, cash only. And I was thinking, there's no way, because as listeners of the show know, I have a young child at home. And she's, uh, oh boy, she'll be, she's almost a year old at this point. And she's an only child. Only child. <laughs> anyway, so yes. I thought there's no way I'm going to be able to see this. I was actually angry that this exciting thing was happening, because I was like, oh no. I got that FOMO. I got hit with that FOMO. Yeah. I got the same thing when he announced all the New York shows because I didn't have the time, money, or energy to be able to run to Manhattan and enjoy a rock show. It made me a little upset because I was like, he's doing like five shows here. I know. And I, I I can't do it. But that's okay. I think the lesson here, James, is at the start of the U.S. tour, there's gonna be new york and la stuff like that's how boarding house reach was too so i don't know i guess that's that's going to be a a continuous thing moving forward i guess so so i'm thinking there's no way because the baby doesn't go down till eight i'm not going to be able to get over there so i resolved to say okay i'm not going to freak out about this i'm going to try and drive over there it's not that far every place in la is a half hour away without traffic so like i knew wherever it was in la it was going to be about a half hour away so worst thing I could do is drive over there and find out that it was sold out and call it call it a day. So put the baby to bed, 8 o'clock on the nose, put the baby to bed, called at 8.10 the uh, bar and asked if there were still tickets. There were. He said, but you got to get here in like a half hour because the show is going to start at 9. And I was like, okay. I looked at Susanna with a look of panic in my eyes. And she said, <laughs> get out of here. Go get him, tiger. 
And um, <laughs> and so I, threw, I was already in my pajamas. Like, I just threw on some jeans with, like, my pajama shirt on and <laughs> ran to the car and sped over there. The comfiest Jack White show you've ever been to? Yeah. <laughs> well, I wasn't expecting to go. Like, I had, like, Indian food breath and all that stuff. <laughs> Anyway, I got to this place, Catch One, and it's this... I've never been to this place. I've been to a lot of venues in Los Angeles. I've never been to Catch One. It's a club, and then in the back of the club, there is a bar and a uh, stage in a, in a sort of a smallish room. I would say the, the stage in which I saw Olivia Jean last year, for those of you who listened to our episode 78, what I did on my summer vacation, I think it's 78 may remember the description of that show, maybe 79, which, again, was a small room with a bar and a stage, not very big at all. Max capacity couldn't have been more than a couple hundred people. It was very, very small. Not quite as small as the Troubadour, but small. Anyway, uh, yeah, I got up there. I got my wristband. I had my cash, popped it down. I made my way into the venue, and yeah, it was was only about 20 minutes before showtime, and uh, I got a very good spot. And yeah, the show was incredible. The roadies on this tour, which we'll talk about more when we talk about the Amoeba show, are dressed differently. James, I don't know if you experienced this at the 10-year celebration, but the roadies are all dressed in newsboy caps now. All gray. Gray uh, with... Some of them had suspenders. It was almost as if the black and fedora with yellow tie had evolved into almost like a... I don't know, a 1920s racer style, mechanic style look huh. to it, almost. I mean, maybe for the raconteurs, I don't know. But I didn't notice that in Nashville. It seemed to be Nashvillean TMR employees uh, yeah. doing a lot of the, the yellow tie and whatnot. So Yeah, so well, I, the only reason I noticed it, because I saw it two days in a row, so it was kind of hard not to. Yeah. But anyway, I watched them uh, assemble the set, and I didn't know this until the show, but, uh, you know, one of the guys that helps assemble their gear and is their, one of their roadies is Joshua V. Smith. Yeah, wow. That's uh, the the beard uh, prominently featured. Yeah, but I I didn't want to assume that Jack only knows one dude with a long beard. So like, I, I guess <laughs> I didn't assume it was Joshua V. Smith. He seems like a guy who knows many people with long beards. Anyway. I believe he provides some light vocals in the new album. He provided instrumentation along with some of the other roadies on the stage during the Amoeba show. Not in the uh, secret show that I saw, but in the Amoeba huh. show. They were all, they were helping participate in the songs, which was crazy. Nice. But uh, yeah, so the show started around 9.30 and it was loud, very loud. In fact, my ears at this stage are still ringing. It was a high-energy, super-electrified performance. Jack was in great form. He came out in his Warstick Battle Mm t-shirt and those weird arm things that he's been wearing. He was just in a really good mood. He was jumping around. Brendan Benson was in a Hawaiian shirt for some reason. Little Jack was in great form. He had that weird little, like, 
bass piano thing. I don't even know what you call that, but the thing he plays in the Help Me Stranger single video, you know, that little, like, Mm -hmm. keyboard. It looks like a keyboard, but it makes bass sounds. I don't even know what it is. Somebody correct us, please, because I don't know. And he was playing that on the stage, and Patrick Keeler was, you know, in his usual Patrick Keeler attire. Yeah, it was a wonderful set. They opened with Born and Raised, which they opened the Amoeba Show with as well. And uh, the the difference between this and the Amoeba Show, of course, other than the fact that the Amoeba Show was much shorter, the Amoeba Show was exclusively Help Us Stranger songs, and this one mm-hmm. had some of the some of the other tracks in there, some of the other hits. Born and Raised, Don't Bother Me, Old Enough, You Don't Understand Me, Level, Some Days, Broken Boy Soldier, Help Me Stranger. Only Child, Hands, and there was an encore? Holy crap. Yeah. Consoler of the Lonely, Sunday Driver, Now That You're Gone, What's Yours Is Mine, Salute Your Solution, and Steady As She Goes. It was a long show. And what's what's interesting, too, and again, we'll, we'll get to this with the Amoeba show, but the arrangement they've gone with for Now That You're Gone is different than the record because like, the record, I guess, has a lot of synth or production work on it. And so the arrangement at this point in the tour is dependent on Jack just doing the boom, boom, like Patrick's watching Jack, LJ's watching mm-hmm. Jack to get that thump, thump, thump going. And it didn't really work for me at the Amoeba show, but at this show it worked really well. Mm. Uh, Jack was in great spirits. He was uh, talking a lot. He was he was talking to the point where sometimes it was just nonsense. He was just babbling gibberish really, really fast to the crowd. Like he kept asking us if we would do things for him, and then he kept asking if we loved him. And then his last question to us was, well, well, do I love you? And we all screamed, yeah. And he went, all right then. Gave a big smile and then turned away from <laughs> us. And it was like, whoa, <laughs> somebody's in a good mood. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. One of the big cool things I mentioned Joshua V. Smith is he brought Joshua V. Smith onto the stage and said that this was the last night Joshua V. Smith would be helping them on this tour because Joshua V. Smith was getting married. And he said, Joshua V. Smith has finally found a woman as in love with his beard as he is, which was super cute. Oh, that's great. That is delightful. (laughs) I haven't noticed him play this at all. I mean, I could be wrong. I haven't scoured the set lists, but from the Nashville show to the shows I've been hearing about to the shows you've gone to, I haven't noticed him playing Thoughts and Prayers, which is my favorite song off this new album, and I really want to hear that live a la your Carolina drama. I would love to hear that that song live. So I hope he gets to that. Yeah, me too. I was I was a little surprised about that, actually. And there was one song I didn't recognize. He played a little snippet of what was either a cover or something else connected to Broken Boy Soldiers. Like, mm. he started to play Broken Boy Soldiers. He started to play this other song, and then it morphed into Broken Boy Soldiers. So, or Broken Boy Soldier, rather. So, uh, so yeah, that was the only one that I really didn't recognize. Everything else I was kind of pretty tuned into. He got to, on the piano, obviously, for You Don't Understand Me, and he was really going nuts on that.
just, he was insane. He was losing his mind. The lighting was really cool, and the lighting was going crazy because it's such a small club that everything is amplified. I have never Mm -hmm. been in that small of a venue watching Jack White before. It was pretty remarkable, and I was just as close, if not just as close, if not maybe a fraction further away than I was at the Amoeba show. Really? Yeah. So I was very, very close. So yeah, it was it was an incredible experience. I I was thankful I was able to get in and I'm still still I'm still kind of buzzing about it because it would hit me, James, at a couple points in the show, it would hit me, "Oh, I'm watching the Rackin Tours." Yeah. In this room. It gave me the feeling that I wasn't getting from Boarding House Reach. And I don't The dragon we've been chasing. Yeah. Yeah, it's so easy to dump on Boarding House Reach, and I don't like to, because I do like that album, and I do like that he was pushing boundaries, but something about the tour, he didn't feel bored during Boarding House Reach, but it felt a little labored, okay. maybe. And this one felt so natural, and he was in such a good mood, and they played so well together. It really was comfort food. It was just rock and roll at its finest just pure straight rock and roll at its finest so thank you to third man records for putting this on thank you for the wonderful experience and uh, thank you listeners uh, at home or wherever it is you are listening to this because it's been wonderful to be able to share these memories with you all these past 100 episodes i met several people in line that were either friends of people through that we know through the podcast or just new friends that i had met over the past couple of days and the third man community is so uh, welcoming and and open and all that stuff so it was a, it was a real pleasure i had a really great time yeah. and we started this podcast in the middle of a jack drought not knowing if we'd ever be able to talk about going to jack white shows ever again so uh this is yeah. great uh, and I'm excited that you're going to so many and uh, that we have the opportunity to do this. Uh, I'll be seeing him again in August. Pumped for that. And uh, you'll be seeing him again. In a few weeks at the Greek. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm seeing him in a, I'm sort of tail end of July. And in fact, I, it's so funny. I, I made a bunch of line friends at the Amoeba show. And a lot of the line people were there last night. And mm-hmm. I was able to pick one fella out because he's he's quite a tall guy and hard to miss and so i was like oh hey it was him and his either girlfriend or wife i I, forgive me i'm not sure when we all saw each other at the show last night we all sort of screamed and ran up and ran up and hugged each other and we, we we both said almost simultaneously we were hoping you made it aww or I was hoping you made it, like because nice. I was thinking, oh, I hope they made it, and they were, th- and that's the first thing they said to me was like, we were hoping you made it, and I was felt like, oh, that's really nice, like it's a wonderful little community we've got going here. So that's, uh, it's, it was really great. Nice, yeah, it's nice to be a part of this. And Paul, I'm so glad that you were able to uh, fall in love with this show. Hey. Now. All right, James, what do you say we get into this very special Ben Breaks It Down? Yeah, it's a very special episode. I'm going to turn my chair backwards, turn my hat backwards, uh, and have a very deep discussion with you about the importance and safety of breaking down. 
make you lose your mind. Welcome to a very special tag team episode featuring Ben Blackwell. Ben, hi. Hi. How's it going? Oh, you know, it's uh, Mondays, huh? Garfield, right? Exactly. Guys like Garfield out there. So we're here to address some blunders from our past 100 episodes. And boy, have we got a lot of doozies in there. And Ben is going to help straighten us out. Good news. Ben is here to save the day. It's all going to be fine now. (laughs) I've gone through and cherry-picked some of the various corrections we've gotten on this show over the years. And I have posted the assertion, the correction, and then what we'd like is a follow-up from Ben. I think that's pretty that's pretty succinct, right? That's fair enough. I can get into that. So let's just jump right into it. This one comes from episode two. The assertion we made in this episode was that Jack White dislikes cars slash the automobile industry. And the correction that was issued was that he does not, in fact, hate cars, merely the methodology of the old car industry And now our question for you, Ben, is what is Jack's feeling on the current state of the automobile industry? Has it changed much since he wrote The Big Three? Well, I think the one thing I would say is for a bit of context, you need to understand what Jack's existence was like in the mid to late 90s and the reliance upon automobiles that was tied into it. Right. So running his own business, third man upholstery, that all really, really hinged on the idea of having a car to be able to do pickups and deliveries and get to his upholstery shop. Right. And so if your car is not working, you are not working and you are not getting paid. And this is a pretty meager hand to mouth existence. Right. So when I think of the big three killed my baby, I think of it as just Jack's perspective being how is everyone just cool with this? How is no one take objection to this everyone just like well that's the way it is and uh that was my understanding of it um i mean just how many times a car breaking down could can a tour could can a whole day of plans of work and when you don't have a lot of money you don't have a lot of money to fix a car either you don't have money to get a nicer car right So that being said, I would say now he's able to afford nicer things, obviously, Um, and nicer things last longer. Including a Tesla, right? I mean, he's he's driving a Tesla these days. Yeah, yeah. So he's a a big fan of Tesla. I think, you know, folks know he did a concert at the Tesla factory last year. He did a solo performance there. So I think it's... It's not the automobile industry. It's any industry where there's a lack of forward thinking, gotcha. where there's a lack of ingenuity, where there's a lack of improvement. Right. And if you look at you know the automobile industry from whatever, say the late '60s through the you know mid '90s, any changes are, are very incremental. Um, I think there's. I think it's in the uh, the Detroit Rock movie mm. interview that Jack does, where someone uh, he talks about he'd met a guy who worked for one of the big three automakers. And he said that they had just put together a car. They were developing a car that used adhesives that were known, that were known quantity to only stay adhered for eight years. Hmm. And that after eight years, everything would start detaching. Wow. And he said, how is that? He's yeah. like, you know, that goes into the idea of planned obsolescence where yeah. there's not a real incentive for an automaker to make a car that lasts 20 years. 
And that's crept into other industries too. That's in, I mean, cell phones and, and technology, things like that. Apple making certain kinds of software that only lasts until a certain point, and you know, your phone gets to a certain age and it's suddenly obsolete. So yeah, I guess that's that's a methodology that's, I guess, not unique to the car industry. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Has uh, Jack ever tried to drag race that Tesla with any of Allison's muscle cars? Uh, I'm unaware of any legal or illegal drag racing. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Uh, Well, thank you for that. Let's move on to our next blunder here from episode three. The assertion was that Blind Willie McTell retitled St. James Infirmary Blues to the Dying Crapshooters Blues, and it was pointed out that the Dying Crapshooters Blues was more of an amalgamation of a few different songs, one of which was the St. James Infirmary Blues. Do you have any insight on Dying Crapshooters Blues or Jack's recording of it? So I'm not um, talking about there being a recording of it. That's Is someone saying he recorded it? I have somewhere. There's live versions of it. Yes, maybe that's what... That's what you're thinking of, homeboy. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a live... I think it's uh, live in the Garden Bowl, June 3rd, 2001. I know he played it there. And that was the first time I remember seeing it slash hearing it off the top of my head. And to me, it seemed like it just kind of came out of nowhere. I hadn't heard him play it before or talk about it before. Mm -hmm. And then maybe once or twice it showed up in impromptu White Stripes performance, like he'd just pull it out. Sure. And I don't think Meg you know her drum accompaniment was terribly complex it was probably just like a kick drum and ride cymbal keeping time along right yeah i uh, will play this song that i made myself originated it from atlanta it's the three different marches of tunes but yeah it's a really really good song and, and yeah it is a it is some sort of amalgam all those old blues songs it's mm-hmm. you know one guy takes a line from one song and adds it to something he wrote and steals it back and right, right. back and forth so a lot of that is you know it's a tree with many tangled roots right but ultimately exciting and interesting fruits bear from that tree yeah we uh we just recorded an episode about the lost jay-z album and it's funny to think about the hip-hop overlap with that i mean uh jack talks about how the blues even if hip-hop artists aren't aware of it that some of the root of the blues can be detected in in hip-hop and at least the tradition of maybe taking a line or taking uh you know even a whole chorus or whatever it is and putting it into a new song and having it evolve sort of from there and it becomes this through line amongst a lot of different artists so that's interesting and and there's a lot of overlap with jack and hip-hop in that regard too an episode on the lost jay-z album you have a whole episode to that 
Oh, there's an hour and 40 minutes, Ben. Really? That much? I found a bit. I uh, There's the big boy interview with Jay-Z, and then Jack talks a lot about it in the 2010 region. Mm-hmm. And then the Boarding House Reach era gives us a lot more. And then, you know, we kind of put together like, uh, here's what we know was probably a part of it. And then here's what we are fantasizing could have been segments of within a hypothetical session of which a lot of wild speculation, Ben. You see? Mm, interesting. It's what you come to expect here on the third man podcast. Yeah. I'd be curious to help. It's, it sounds like an episode of rife for blunders. Oh yes. That's what I anticipate. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll have to do this again sometime. Yeah. Uh, so we'll move on to the next blunder here. We have the assertion being that Brendan Benson was involved in the Hotel Yorba music video. This is from episode five. And the correction, of course, is that Brendan helped in the recording of the live at Hotel Yorba version of the track, not the video. Although Brendan did seem to be around quite a bit at the time. Ben, is there any chance Brendan may have been present for the video after all or any fun stories or insight about that Hotel Yorba video? Brendan was not there for the video. I know because I was. Okay. Um, there you go. But, you know, the, the video and, and the single were, were kind of meant to overlap over the same weekend. Mm-hmm. And there was something confusing about when they, I think they got two rooms. Like the guy producing the video, Anthony Garth, went and got a room. And then the band got a room as well. Okay. They were able to get a room. Okay. Yeah, they were able to. I think now if you walk in, you just get super, super checked out and, and they don't <laughs> they, they sniff out anyone that's that's not from the area. Um, even though Jack and Meg even though, you know, they were people that, you know, living three blocks away. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think what happened was they, they got two rooms and they won't let you take the keys for the room out of the building. Mm-hmm. So when you leave, you have to leave your key at the desk. Whoa. Is my understanding, or at least it was at the time. Is that to prevent like prostitution or drug dealing or something? I it, don't it very well could be either of those things. So I think the band left and they were trying to think, oh, how are we gonna get back? We gotta you know, I think Brendan recorded with like a DAT machine. Mm-hmm. Or maybe a reel to reel, because I think we got a reel of of alternate takes of those tracks. But anyways, they were trying to figure out how we're going to, you know, sneak in a guitar and I think it's just like a tambourine Meg is playing. Yeah. And some mics and, you know, it's not small enough to just tuck under your shirt. Sure. So I think what happened was they left, they had to leave the key, but Anthony, the producer of the video, was able to smuggle his key out. Oh. And so they're like, well, we'll just go into Anthony's room. Yeah. Like sneak in through like a back stairway or something like that. Right. And so when they did that the lady at the front desk sniffed something being up and then <laughs> no. wouldn't give the band the key back to their room. Oh no. And so that, and that was where we were going to film. Their room was meant to be where we were going to film as well. Yeah. And, and so maybe Anthony got ensnared too, or he still had his key, but they were just not having it. <laughs> yeah. The lesson to be learned here is really to create decoy keys and perhaps some funny hats or disguises, I think. Yeah, well, I think Jack tells the story in the um, the DVD for the acoustic Alaskan performance, I think is where it's on. Right, the bulletproof glass, uh, not not a great way to make friends bit. Yeah. yeah, and that is 100% 
as I recall, as I remember. So the audio recording was meant to be like earlier in the week, like a day or two earlier. Yeah. And then the filming was maybe like on a Friday, uh-huh. end of the week. Right. And so in the middle of the filming, we kind of had this last ditch effort. Like we, we had an alternate hotel downtown to go and film at where ultimately it, it filmed at. Mm-hmm. But I forget the name of that. It was, maybe it was the Park Avenue. It's a block off of Woodward right behind like the Fox Theater. Sure. So you had a decoy hotel instead. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always. They, it was, I think everyone knew, like, it's, <laughs> it's a strong chance we won't be able to even film at the Yorba. And so after we'd filmed at the, at the downtown hotel, yeah. someone was just like, maybe we should go. Maybe we should go and just see. And so it was, as I recall, it was like Dan Miller, who was helping with the video, Kevin Carrico, who was like the director of photography, hmm. he ended up helming the third man Icarus mission where we put the record in the space. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Anthony Garth, who was kind of overseeing everything. And then like me, Jack, Meg, I think Co was working on the video a little bit too. So probably like, you know, all of us filled in the, in the White Stripes van. So we're parked in the parking lot of the Hotel Yorba uh-huh. and they go in. I think Dan goes in and tries to sweet talk. I mean, Dan's a really, really He's a really smooth talker. He was the person for the job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And while he's doing it, literally the NPR review for White Blood Cells came on the radio. Whoa. We're sitting outside the hotel. And I don't think that was when Jack got chased out. <laughs> Not to my recollection. I think that might have been earlier now wait was he he was dragged out though wasn't he now who was doing the drag no, he was not dragged he was not dragged well he was if he was i think he may have been dragged out by one of his yeah you know cohorts right, not right, by right, someone right. from the hotel i feel like dan john miller he's got a lot of lanky limbs that he could have probably got around he could he could have he's yeah. got some some height to him but yeah so it was literally we're sitting out here this i remember being in the car with meg so maybe jack wasn't in the car i don't know listening to the review and it's like, we can't get in there. Like they're literally playing the song on the radio right now. We are in the parking lot and they will not let oh us in God. there. It's so funny. Like they could have used this as such an opportunity, like the soup Nazi did in New York or something. But instead it seems that they keep meeting you folks with aggression, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting earlier this year, my dad, you know, he's born and raised in Southwest Detroit and he still spends a lot of time there. He said to me, he's like, so I heard Jack bought the Yorba. Oh, I said, man, I don't know what you're talking about, Dad. Like, I, he's like, oh, people, people in the neighborhood are talking, you know. So I hear, I got the, you know, the grapevine. It's like, what the hell is he talking about? Yeah. And then, like, two months later, there's news in the in the paper, the Free Press, that the hotel you were sold. Yeah. And it was like, Jack, you didn't buy it, did you? He's like, no, man. And I think, I think it was some insane price. I'm not kidding. I think it was three million dollars wow. that someone paid for it. But the buyer had some sort of contingency that their name hasn't been made public yet because every I I guess people just thinking, oh, money invested in Southwest Detroit, probably Jack White, especially after a hotel that he wrote a song about. And, you know, I I told, you know, whoever asked a handful of people was like, man, it's not (laughs) it's not Jack, man. It's uh, it's someone else, which, you know, more power to them. But I don't know who it is. Wow. Well, I hope the mystery buyer comes forward, and when James is ready to reveal himself, I'm sure he will. Um, <laughs> well, uh, thank you very much, Ben. That is awesome. Let's move on to the next blunder here. Okay, so this is from episode seven. The assertion was that Jack's Grammy count was, quote, 
nine or more. The correction, which was really more of a clarification, was that Jack's Grammy count was actually 11 at the time of that recording. Question for you, Ben. How are you guys contacted when you're nominated for a Grammy? Any fun behind-the-scenes info on how that whole process works? Or maybe Jack or your or people at Third Man's general feeling about the mainstream attention that a Grammy nom or win can get you? Yeah, I don't think there's any official way that the uh, Recording Academy notifies you. It's usually, from my experience, it's someone else telling you. Okay. <laughs> like someone, one of your friends, like, I saw the Grammy nominations. Okay. Congrats. We had one of our designers here, Nat Strumpopoulos. He got nominated for our reissue of Elvis's That's When Your Heart Aches Begin, My Happiness 78. The Sun Studio. Yeah. And, uh, He's just said a bunch of people. He's like, my phone just started blowing up. I'm like, what the hell? What's what's wrong? Uh, and uh, he, uh, yeah. So he, I think you just they just figure you're going to find out. Someone's going to tell you. Sure. Yeah. I only have one personal anecdote in regards to the behind the scenes ishness of it all, which was the 2006 Grammys where the White Stripes were nominated for a couple different Get Behind Me Satan performances recordings Mm -hmm. that grammy award broadcast was like the same day that the band was flying home from australia new zealand tour they did a big day out that year yeah and i was with them on that tour so i went back to nashville with jack this is right after he'd moved to nashville there was never a plan on being at the grammys but it's kind of weird, jet laggy, still kind of a new town. He'd probably only lived in Nashville for a couple of weeks at that point uh-huh. um, and gone on tour in the middle of it. And I just remember being on my laptop and just screaming, for not screaming, but just hollering from the other room like, Jack, <laughs> like, what? You want a Grammy? Really? Cool. You want to go get some pizza? <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's literally how how the exchange went, word for word, verbatim. Now, which was more satisfying, the Grammy or the pizza? Well, I mean, they each have their own different methods of satisfaction. <laughs> I would argue. Uh, that's cool. Well, we were rooting for uh, Marga this year, and I I actually watched the Grammys so that I could see if she won, and obviously was disappointed when she didn't, but was overjoyed that she got the that sort of mainstream approval, which somebody like Jack at this point in his career doesn't really need, but I was just happy to see them give Margot the nom and she deserves it. And she's wonderful. Yeah. You know, we, we, we were very, very proud of her. And when you think about it, you know, that's a best new artist nominee on a pretty small indie label (laughs) in the grand scheme of things. Sure. And not country artists. No, no, no. This is best new artists. Like she transcended her own genre. I love it. Yeah, no, we're we're super, super proud and just excited about all of that. I would like to use this to pivot into one last time to bother you about acquiring the old Buffalo Clover catalog and reissuing those. Ben, uh, I'm going to make I'm going to make this my personal mission in life to make sure that those get reissued on Third Man. I, you know, I'll be honest, I've never even heard the stuff. So, I, I, oh I, Ben, they're so good. I'm I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. I just oh. I've got piles of stuff. I'm I'm you know, yeah. trying to listen to. It's funny. You can actually find, well, uh, just a tangent for a second. You can actually find one of them <laughs> that's on their old labels site. That's not defunct yet for some reason. Mm-hmm. And the other one, test your love is that one's a little bit better. It's a little popular. And that one's got Brittany Howard on it and stuff. And oh, nice. I haven't been able to find that anywhere. So but worth pursuing Buffalo Clover is uh, tremendous.
let's uh, move on here. We have our next blunder. I got it right that time. This one's from episode eight. The assertion was that Hand Springs was a B-side. Of course, the correction was that Hand Springs was actually a split release for a pinball magazine with a dirt bomb Cedar Point 76 on the flip. A question for you, Ben. We love this song. Can you tell us anything about its origins or meaning? And was this commonly played in their early sets? I think Handspring has only been played a handful of times. Um, I don't know if any of them are out there. And I know I have at least one or two recordings of it, I would think. Uh, maybe March March 01 at the Magic Stick, I think they played it. Okay. Which I'm not sure if there's a recording out there of that or if I, if I just have one that I made. But no, it, it stemmed from the guy who wrote for Multiball. I think his name was Sam Soule, mm-hmm. S-O-U-L-E, uh, out in Portland. He's just an early fan of the band, and uh, they had reached out and asked if they wanted to be a part of it, of this split single. They had done a couple beforehand. And this was at a time where Jack was very welcoming of the idea of a basically like a, a, a challenge, a songwriting challenge, you know? Ooh. You have to write a song about tinball. Yeah. Okay, I can work within that box. It's the same as Candy Cane Children, write a Christmas song. Okay, sure. I can work within that box. Interesting. So the, the funny thing is, I remember at the time, when well, it's the first line, I took my girl downtown to go bowling at the Red Door. After an argument, I started because I thought she didn't like me anymore. Yeah. Jack just made that up, like the idea of a place called the Red Door. Huh. But there was two different clubs in Detroit history that were actually called the Red Door that you didn't know about. <laughs> That's great. Um, That's great. So there was one on the east side. It was like more of a punk club in the late 70s, early yeah. 80s. And then there was uh, a downtown. It was maybe more of like a co-op is my understanding. Maybe more in like the 60s, hippie times that they kind of think the place was nicknamed the Red Door. Huh. I still don't know if Jack knows that or not. Wow. But yeah, it was. I remember hearing that and thinking it was really, really... In the in the band's catalog, there's certain mile markers that are like, oh shit, yeah, this is a real real big step forward. And I thought that was one of them because it really sounds unique in there in in everything they've done, even everything afterwards. The only one I can think of that's similar maybe is Cream Soda mm-hmm. a little bit, but as only aspects of it. Yeah, Handsprings really early on in my fandom. You find these things online. You don't know where they come from. I think at the time it was from like LimeWare or whatever. Well, you know, you could just you're just collecting as much as you can as to to feed the need. And yeah, it was on some boot collection somewhere. And I heard that song. I was like, oh my god, it sounds way. It sounds like something off Icky Thump. Like it's way ahead of its time. And yeah, I don't know. It's one I always come back to. I really, really love that song. And Meg's drumming is is really strong on it too, particularly for that early in their career. It just in it's tight, you know. She she sounds really. Yeah. It sounds like they were very much in sync during the recording of that. Yeah, I mean, it was all recorded at home, and I feel like from memory, the live performance in March of '01 ends with Jack saying, "That's the last fucking time we ever tried that song." <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a really, mouthful. Really hard to pull yeah. off. There might have been. I feel like maybe there were some festival shows in 2004. Yeah, like European festivals. They tried to do that at. Okay. If I recall, maybe Jack said something about they kind of recorded the instrumental first, mm. and then he had to squeeze in those. Vo- he had to like write the vocals around. I gotcha. The empty spaces before the the choruses came in. On the wonder, he sounds like he's rushing through some parts there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I took my girl to go bowling downtown at the Red Door. After an argument, I started because I thought she didn't like me anymore. I can't help it. Sometimes I feel pitiful. And of course, she's so young and beautiful. I 
to make up for earlier. But I dropped her glass and it broke, so I just gave my glass to her. I've gotten the original lyric sheet. That was one I think I... It was either that or Red Death at 614 that I found in the garbage. <laughs> that was just... Um, well, it was literally the the... <laughs> The garbage upstairs in the attic would just be like, you know, broken guitar strings or busted drumsticks. Yeah. And I remember one day, years later, it was probably like, you know, maybe 2004, 2005, mm. that I was up there and I cleaned and I was like, I was, oh, someone should probably empty out the garbage can. And I'm like, there's probably not a lot of garbage generated <laughs> up here. I was like, I bet it was just that, in, you know, you just have a hunch. Yeah. I was like, I bet there's something interesting in this garbage. And at the bottom, yeah, was was some lyrics. So, oh, Makers of magic, diggers of garbage, <laughs> psychedelic wonder man. Let's move on here to the next blunder we have in episode 10. The assertion was that we do not know how to pronounce the name Pujol, 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 Pujol. Correction. Uh, the correction was we do not know how to pronounce yeah. that question for ben how do you pronounce that <laughs> and was there much interaction with him after that blue room single i've always said pujol 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 daniel the wonderful daniel pujol right Daniel's was great we did the live ep with him and we did the seven inch with him which are um amongst my favorite recordings he's done mm. he's put out a couple records on saddle creek and uh, he do, he does a lot of writing as well. Yeah, seems like a lovely little bohemian fella. He absolutely is. Him and his then girlfriend, now wife, I believe, they've babysat for my kids before. Aww. So <laughs> they're they're you know very very sweet sweet folks. Wow. Well, that's that's wonderful. Did your uh, children walk away uh, talking about chakras or uh, anything like no, that? No, he. he I remember it was uh, my daughter and another kid from the neighborhood. They were babysitting together and. Another kid was like preoccupied with iPhones and things like that. Hmm. And so Daniel asked, he's like, what's your favorite app? And the kid said, the app store, because <laughs> that's where you get more apps. Oh, wow. And that was suitably, suitably uh, mind blowing for Pujol. I can imagine. <laughs> that's like wish for a million wishes kind of thing. Yeah. Smart, smart at a, you know. It's some next level shit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on here. Uh, in episode 11, the assertion was Jack White used a megaphone to sing during the Broken Boy Soldiers tour. The correction was that it was actually a copper phone mic. Question for you, Ben. We know this was designed and built by the uh, polyphonic spree bassist Mark Pirro, but how did the copper phone mic work its way into Jack's arsenal? It was probably like a word of mouth thing. You know, I think by that point, Jack had already locked in on the copper approach for the rack and tours. Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And so at one point, all of his guitar pedals in that band were cased in copper housings, mm. um, which it looks pretty amazing. If you, uh, I think there's a photo of it out there. It might, he might've re coppered everything now on his, <laughs> on his guitar pedal board too. If someone sees it coming up recently yeah so i don't know how the actual connection i'm not sure i know some people are there's a the drummer from the polyphonic spree uh brian teasley is like we've got mutual friends between us and him yeah. that might have been it somehow okay i think at one point too brian had one of those microphones in carry-on luggage oh 
And like the Houston airport got shut down because of it because they thought it looked like a bomb. Oh my God. Wow. Uh, I, I feel like that was on CNN or something. You might be able to Google that and, and, and get some insight to it. Oh my God. That's what's, that's, that's amazing. Speaking of the polyphonic spree, I'm going to use this uh, as an opportunity to uh, petition Ben. You have to play a musical matchmaker for me here. I need Jack and St. Vincent to collaborate together desperately. She was in the polyphonic spree for a hot minute, and that's the segue that I'm using to make yet another pitch to you. This is mainly going to be pitch-based, Ben. I don't know if you knew yeah. that going in, <laughs> but uh, I'm definitely going to need that to happen. Yeah, um, I, I would say I have no say in it, but I would not be surprised if that ever happened. They are very like I mean, you know, Jack Jack did play the St. Vincent guitar on that last tour. And they seem to be friends from from what I can tell. So it's fantastic. Who knows? So good. Those Slater Kenny tracks, those new ones are quite good. Hell yeah. Uh, so moving on here, uh, my second to last one before James takes over, we have in episode 13, the assertion was that Hank Williams died in a car crash. The correction being Hank Williams died of heart failure in a car on the way to a gig. Question for you, Ben, was Hank Williams another early influence for Jack like Loretta, or was his presence more of a thing once Jack moved to Nashville? Do you think your brother's jealous about how long we're talking right now and he's sitting, like, sweating it out that it's going so long? Uh, <laughs> I am slowly going by and making the questions on the Google Doc we have open read once they're done, and so his heart must yeah. be beating with anticipation. Yes. Awesome. Um, Hank Williams, I mean, you know, you got to remember that Two Star Tabernacle covered Ramblin' Man, which is a Hank Williams song. Well, I could settle down and be doing just fine till I hear an old train coming down. Lone uh, seven inch while they were together, and then there was another. What was another Williams song that made it around? That was no, maybe not. Maybe I'm uh, I'm mistaken. Wayfair and Stranger. I don't think he ever did that. Maybe he did, or maybe Hank Three did Wayfair and Stranger. The third one in the trilogy. Anyways, no, that seems like that was a that was like a er, like that had been a pretty early influence in terms of of country music. Okay. I remember the first time the White Stripes went to Chicago. It was actually the first time Two Star went to Chicago. It was two show weekend. And they went to Bloodshot label offices, which were right in Wrigleyville. Yes. And Jack, I think Jack went up to the offices and me and Meg stayed in the car. Like it was just like, they were just going to stop in and say hi. Uh-huh. And uh, Jack came down and he's like, man, I didn't even think it would be like a cool, record label with like merch there and posters on the wall. <laughs> oh. and I was, I was like 16 at the time, I think. Wow. He's like, I didn't even think to bring you up there. Um, <laughs> and he, he came back down with a, a, a bloodshot t-shirt that had Hank Williams on it. Wow. Which I don't know if that ever got worn or if that just got used And that van. Didn't have windshield wipers 
and I think condensation built up quickly on the inside. So that might have just been used as a, you know, defogging rag inside the yellow Ford uh, <laughs> line. But there was it was a Hank Williams T-shirt in the in the orbit. Wow! All right then. So that brings us to my last blunder before I tag James in here. We have from episode fourteen. The assertion was we had no idea what Jack and Meg were selling on the cover of the Candy Cane Children single, nor whom they were selling them to, the correction being they're selling little Christmas trinkets to little Jack Lawrence. The question for you, Ben, where did those little trinkets wind up slash where did they come from and how did LJ land on that single cover? I don't, I, I would actually say your correction is probably a little bit off. Trinkets is is um, is off base it's a nativity set okay so are, are you guys you guys aren't uh, followers of our lord and savior jesus christ uh the kaminsky brothers uh well i we're Your heathens going to hell we're both born catholic and confirmed i so yeah you know polish catholic you know we're there but you never seen a nativity set no i got a nativity set i know what a nativity i just thought it was they looked like little trinket i didn't realize it was a whole thing there oh my God. Do they just well, auction? You can't break up the nativity set, man. You're definitely doomed to <laughs> eternal damnation now. Whatever, it's just a nativity set. Everyone, yeah. Any Catholic household has like eight of them lying around. Have I told you about Lord Zenu? I'm out in L.A. now. It's all I'm into these days. <laughs> um, no, I don't, I don't know specifically whose or where that specific nativity set came from, but I, I, I seem to recall... That single, the so the the funny thing is, is that cover art was after the fact. That was done on the reissue of the record. So the original release of Candy Cane Children was on the Flying Bomb Christmas Surprise Package right. in 1998, I believe. And that reissue was on V2 and XL coordinated seven inch reissues of that, I believe, in 2002, uh-huh. probably Christmas time. Uh-huh. So my recollection is. That summer of 2002, Jack Lawrence kind of just spent a lot of time in, in Detroit. He was just hanging out. I think that was in the lead up to the White Stripes backing Jeff Beck on his, I think it was his 40th anniversary being in the music biz where the White Stripes played the role of the Yardbirds oh, and, wow. and backed him for all of his Yardbirds tracks. Holy shit. And Jack Lawrence played bass on that. That was in Whoa. 2002. Whoa. So I think that probably all... All that stuff dovetails together. I love that. Um, I had no idea. That's amazing. Yeah. Have you heard those? There's like some live recordings, like audience recordings of that stuff. I don't think um, I don't think I have, but I if I did see them around, I maybe just assumed it was somebody incorrectly labeling a Beck thing. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's uh, it's probably of ten songs or so of the White Stripes with Jack Lawrence playing with Jeff Beck. So Jack's singing all the songs. He's in like Heart Full of Soul and Jesus. I think Happenings Ten Years Time Ago. Wow.
it's good. It's worth checking out. Amazing. Well, thank you, Ben. I am going to tag James in here. Hi, uh, this is. Do you feel like you missed out on those previous questions? Well, because there was some good convo. I'm just going to let you know. Yeah, no, I was sitting here twiddling my thumbs, looking at the screen for a while. Then I decided to keep painting my son's nursery. So, <laughs> really, just sitting in the the fun paint fumes. It's it's really getting me get me ready to ask some questions. <sighs> yeah, I'm just going to be completely honest. I, I I gave the best of my my effort already, so this is just going to be completely, literally phoned in. Well, it's all downhill from here. I mean, it's <laughs> it, look. I won't blame you if you want to say pass on any of them, but um, <laughs> our listeners might. So there's that. But no, yeah. Um, and you don't know. You don't know if I said pass on any of the other ones. It's true. It's true. We will never find out what Jack is holding on. Get behind me, Satan. Never, not from me. <laughs> Although, wait, I think um, what did what did Bruce Brand say? Bruce, you talked to Bruce, and he had something. Yeah, he said he thought it was he thought it was a pillbox. No, it's not a pillbox. No, yeah, I didn't I think will, so. I will one hundred. I will one hundred percent confirm it is not a pillbox. Okay, that's fine. Uh, oh, gosh, maybe the maybe the twenty year anniversary will. will uh, I think Jack still has it. Maybe we'll bust it out and let people hold it in the shop or something. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'd pay to hold that. Um, <laughs> and There's a lot of things you'd pay to hold. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, well, we are doing a Jack White podcast, so I suppose I suppose the uh, circle gets the square there. Um, <laughs> all right, let's start the question here. This comes from episode 16. Uh, we made an assertion that there was Robert Johnson material to be found on the Paramount box set. The correction we got, there was not. Totally not. Yeah. Come on. I know. Rookie mistake. Very rookie mistake. Look, this is episode 16, Ben. We're, we're still fresh-faced. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, one would say I'm still fresh-faced. Do you care to, to divulge to the, to the dozens of people listening here how far ahead you are recording? Like, what episode is live right now uh, as we talk? As we're talking, it's episode 100. Yeah. No, I know episode 100 is what this is going to be. In, yeah. But right now, is this isn't live. What is the episode that is the most current episode that people have heard? That would be 98. Oh, okay. So you're not recording that far ahead. No, no, no. Uh, we're, we're doing this uh, the bad way. And as I'm preparing to have a paternity leave, this will be... Yeah put in place and then a couple best ofs because uh, that's what everyone best likes clip shows clip shows <laughs> yeah Jeez. the ones everyone wow. skips on Netflix nowadays so that's great um, so can you give us any uh, any details on how that Paramount box came together were there any unique design challenges that you guys faced to uh, to kind of get that patina that sense of antiquity Oh, it was it was a lot of work, a lot of struggle. That primarily came to us from uh, Dean Blackwood, who's the principal of Revenant Records. Okay, that was an idea that he had originally had, and he had a much smaller, more scaled down version of the idea mm-hmm. that he was pursuing, that he was ready to pursue on his own, and he ended up here 
doing, I think he just reached out, hey, we should talk, blah, blah, blah. And we were big fans of everything he'd done, the Charlie Patton set, his American Primitive series, all that stuff was really, really top notch. Mm-hmm. And so when he came with this idea, it was Jack, I feel like it was a soft sell from Dean and, and Jack was just immediately intrigued and kind of, well, what if we did this? What if we changed that around? From my memory, the original packaging was meant to be a circular, cylindrical, wooden cabinet, for lack of a better term. Okay. With the idea that it would be really, really difficult to put on a shelf, like purposefully difficult. Imagine <laughs> this, like, I don't know, like the size of a pizza, like, yeah, uh, you know, 14 inches or something like that, and you'd have the LPs inside. An inconvenience is what you Well, that's what... For. Dean was trying to oh, okay. an inconvenience. Um, but we had, you know, we had contacts here in the uh, laser cut wood world. So that volume one, the the, the folio, mm-hmm. the wooden folio that houses the LPs, that was something that we brought to the table. And then just um, the wood, I forget what kind of wood it is on that first one, but Jack had the insight. He's like, it should be quarter sawn because that was what furniture of that time would have been it would have been quarter sawn mm-hmm. i don't know if that's arts and crafts at that point or if it's a different uh, furniture slash architecture movement but yeah so it was really really collaborative but dean was definitely the expert and had his tendrils out into the collectible and the historical world of paramount he'd brought in a lot of the researchers and the people had you know actually put their feet on the ground with that mm-hmm. but yeah just the sheer quantities on those was I think like three thousand or five thousand of each. I think it's five thousand. Um just mm-hmm. having space for them and, and being able to accommodate all of them was not easily done. It was not cheaply done. I can um, imagine. But it was but it was done. So that's the most important part. Um and I think we still got we still have some left, but I feels like we're always ever so dangerously close to running out of those and we will never reprint that. That's something that I, I didn't even think of is, is even the storage of those sets it must have been a nightmare because they're they're not quite flat because of the thing on the top. So they're all, I'm yeah. assuming, individually packaged uh, large wooden yeah. boxes that you need to find room yeah. for in a corner <laughs> until people buy them. Yeah, they're all in their own cardboard box, each one, mm-hmm. but like a, probably like a 18 by 25 cardboard box Oof. or something like that. It's huge. Yeah. And there, there's, there's tons of styrofoam and, you know, they were made in China. It's the only place you can do it affordably. Right. And so I remember there was a time where we had hundreds upon hundreds of these styrofoam inserts that we had removed just for the ones, the copies that we were using or whatever. And just staff just jumping into the pile like it was a <laughs> snowbank. It's <laughs> pretty funny in hindsight. Yeah. Was there like a hard sell to get the second box set with the metal case done? Well, not really. It, oddly enough, the second set is the one that has more of the quote-unquote well-known tracks okay. from Paramount. It's more of the blue stuff, more of the marquee blue stuff on right. the second set. So that was always our thought is that that one would sell better. But I don't think it did i think the first one got people's attention quickly even without the marquee names yeah but no still that was was really really cool that was based on an actual there's a portable turntable from mm-hmm. that era that is super art deco like that that was based on upon that idea um if you see the two side by side you might not even be able to discern an immediate difference you know from across the room mm-hmm. uh but no it was always it was always going to be a two volume set and okay. it was always going to be one was going to kind of speak to the other and vice versa. Yeah. 
All right. Well, the next question comes from episode 19. Our assertion was uh, that Jack was trying his best to be as authentic as possible as it pertained to his music and acting performance in Cold Mountain and the soundtrack for Cold Mountain. The correction we got is that Jack is on the record in an interview saying that authenticity is a trap and mentions how he dislikes the ease in which the word is thrown around. Would it be fair to say that uh, part of the third man philosophy is more one of truth as opposed to authenticity? And then what are your thoughts on the pursuit of authenticity? Is it a trap? Is it just a, a buzzword? Yeah, I think it's it's a rabbit hole. Okay, I don't think there's anything truly. There's always going to be some something, quote unquote, more authentic, mm-hmm. and so it's better to just be, yeah, to just be true. Yeah. Um, without, I'm not trying to just have you put words into my mouth, but I, I agree with that. So. That's fair. Um, you see, you, know, you see some of it, like on the American Epic set in the in the the series where they're recording in this manner. That was how they recorded in the '30s and all that jazz. And it's cool, but is that still is that authentic when done in the you know 2010 or 2015, whenever mm-hmm. that was recorded? It's an experiment. It's a flirtation, but I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't ever find myself having deep authenticity conversations. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I don't, I, don't, I don't spend too much time worrying about it. I can understand that. It's only authentic if you're doing it for the sake of doing it, and even then, I guess authenticity is something you look back on. It's difficult in music. I mean, maybe there's other forms or artworks where where it's okay. And just, there's a big was it uh, David Chang talking about um, in his. Netflix series, Ugly Delicious, he, he mm-hmm. has a big thing about authenticity, about what is authentic and what does it matter. I'm, I might be misremembering the retelling of it, but I feel like he was talking about his restaurant, his first restaurant, Momofuku. Mm-hmm. Momofuku, sorry, I think. Um, but he's talking about they were going to close and they knew nothing mattered. And I think they were originally trying to be super authentic. And then they just said, Fuck it, let's do what we want. We're going to close anyways. And that was the key to their success. That, to me, seems to be there's some insight there. Yeah. Art doesn't come from doing something somebody else did before you. It can't. It comes from yeah. you doing something for the sake of art. It's one of the smarter things I've ever heard you ramble on. Oh, thank this you. Episode. Got lost in my own words Good anyway. So. Good job. <laughs> so our next question comes from episode 21. We had said that Instinct blues could be interpreted as Jack expressing his frustration with public misunderstanding of him or the band or frustration with becoming famous or a well-known name. The correction we got was that instinct blues is largely about sex. And uh, that blew right over our heads, our our dough-faced heads. But what can you tell us about the writing or recording of of Instinct Blues or that whole album? I don't remember specific. I, w- I was there when they recorded the album, but I don't remember any specifics on Instinct Blues. I've, I've got a, a little stashed, you know, recording diary somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't recall any specifics about that. It didn't seem like a one that was labored over too much. It was probably thought up and tracked pretty quickly. Well, the crickets get it. 
want you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas I remember the denial twist was super, super intensive. Like yeah. many, many takes of that trying to get everything right whether on the recording end or the performance end because you know it was it studios literally set up in jack's house probably you know 30 feet from where all of his amplifiers are is just a the street in detroit <laughs> anyone could walk could have been walking by and heard this band uh, recording oh, man. you know i think i've been on the record before saying and jack has as well in, in regards to blue orchid how that changed the whole recording of get behind me satan mm-hmm. That's really, really, <laughs> I, I, it was a Sunday night. I think the Oscars were on. So this is like whatever, February of, February, March of 2000, what is it, 2005? And uh, so it was Jack and Meg and Matthew, the engineer, and I was there to kind of just, you know, go for mm-hmm. And so we'd called in food, Sochi Milko's in Southwest Detroit. I went to go pick it up. And it's probably between leaving... Indian Village and getting to Soshi's and back is probably maybe 25 minutes mm. round trip. And when I got back to the house, I feel like I was almost grabbed by Jack and said, you have to come here. You have to hear this song. And he sat, you know, he, he had me stand in front of him and he, he just played the opening riff to Blue Orchid mm. with glee in his face. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> like I've never seen him so immediately transformed. Yeah. And he said he said this uh he said this song makes me want to play festivals, which I think his sentiment at the time was he hated playing festivals. Wow. And so he he was stoked. They they ate their food. I think I stood in on guitar while the engineer was dialing in the sounds, getting getting everything to sound right. You know, there's a couple different amps and mics to make sure everything was how it needed to be. I'm trying to think that was... Uh... So, yeah, so he Jack had to kind of show me how to fake that riff a little bit. Do, mm-hmm. do, 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 do. I'm not a guitar player. Um, but I think I nailed those four notes um, <laughs> for, for test sound purposes. Yeah. Um, and then after that, Jack just seemed completely motivated and he had his direction and it was um, it was great. It was really, really an interesting time. Of, as much as I worked with the band, it was the only time I was ever in the studio with them, and I, I found it very, very insightful. And uh, I, I, I wish I would have seen more. Yeah, that's an interesting North Star for the album, it seems, because that, that whole that song doesn't sound like anything else on the album. I mean, it does sound like one yeah. that would make Jack a happy and B play festival. It sounds like the white stripes. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like get behind me Satan. It's almost like it's a palate cleanser. Like Jack had to lock that down. And then all the other pieces came into place. I mean, I remember being surely amazed, surely, surely amazed when the first time I heard the nurse, don't call me surely. Um, because I think I'd heard them just playing, you know, the, the marimba and the drum simple part of the nurse without the weird, crashes coming through the crashes were all overdubbed i'm not going to speak for paul but i am uh the nurse is me and paul's one of our favorite songs on that album and that one i think really sets the tone for what the album really is for us yeah Yeah. i i i I wholeheartedly agree with that and i think there was a it's an issue of Uncut or Mojo or one of those British mags that had a bunch of people talk about their favorite White Stripe songs, and that's what I talked about. Mm-hmm. 
I was just remembering that first time hearing it. And he, I remember Jack playing it back for Brendan. Brendan lived in the neighborhood at the time and he was just like, Hey, check this out. What have they working on? And Jack seemed to maybe be like second guessing the, the, all those weird stabs coming in. With them. <laughs> um, and Brendan's like, dude, no, no. He's like, that's amazing. That's like some crazy Brian Wilson. Shit. Yeah. You have to leave that in there. And so, yeah, that's in there. The nerves should not be the one who puts salt in your wounds. But it's always with trust that the poison is fed with a spoon. When you're helpless with no one to turn to alone in your Swear that the one who would care for you never would leave She promised and said you will always be safe Upon hearing it, I was like, well, there's no way they can do this live. They'll never be able to swing it. But uh, I don't know how involved Jack was, but I do know that his guitar tech at the time, Jim Vincent, had helped figure out the way to have a pedal that Jack could, uh, you know, foot activate on and off to give those accents and those um, weird points mm-hmm. uh, live. And so that was always fun to really, really watch live. And I don't know if anyone else ever caught this, but I'll say it now so I can lay claim to it. But certain live versions of the nurse, Jack does a little marimba flourish mm-hmm. that in my mind is a reference to Lafayette Blues. Ah. He does a do 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 Um go back kids, listen to it, see if you hear what I hear. And if so, send me a dollar. did your first guys send ben blackwell a dollar uh just mail it i gotta tell you well we've been on the phone at least twice now three times today twice while we've been on the phone uh, my caller id has popped up with david gates a 323 number and i'm wondering if it's david gates from bread the legendary oh my god legendary 70s soft rock band do you need to take that uh, if he if he's called three times already he can probably call it fourth <laughs> Um, thanks for not taking a legendary a musician on the phone and talking to me, a man whose wife said to apologize to you for dealing with us. Um, <laughs> any chance we might see a demo disc kind of like, uh, we got with the Icky Thump X for Get Behind Me Satan out of curiosity. Cause the, the red demos, uh, that's what me and Paul have been yeah. wanting. We wanted some behind the scenes stuff. And we never got it until then. There's some rudimentary takes on that stuff. Um, I don't remember everything. You know what? I might actually... Let me see. Let me type into my computer. White stripes. R-I-P-E-S. 
Where does so? Just so you know, on my iTunes uh, under White Stripes, seventy three albums, three hundred ninety eight songs. In case anyone was wondering. Oh my god. Aragon Ballroom, Bootleg, Candy Cane, Unedited, Hotel Hotel Yorba, uh, the unedited uh, live recording at the Hotel Yorba is 25 minutes long, but you didn't know that. I had no um, idea, but I need to hear them now. <laughs> we put out the demo of Let You Down, which was the precursor to The Nurse. That's sure. a Vault 7-inch. Yes. So there's one demo there. Boom. Roasted. All right. Um, I feel burned already, but... Yeah. yeah, yeah, you should. There is a outtake from Get Behind Me, Satan of what ended up as the Jack White song over and over. Really? Bet you didn't know that. Are yeah. you... No, My God. Because um, we were just talking about Ray-Bans, too, which is also yeah. the same thing. We, ah, I want to hear all of the different iterations of that song. They're all great. I will say without pause. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of live at the Gold Dollar recordings, live in Japan, Manaus, Mississippi, Bastille Day, Mississippi again, live New Zealand radio performance no one's ever heard, I don't <sighs> think. Um, I just like just teasing you guys yeah, you know, yeah. big time. Um, all right. Oh, well, then, you know, we also have, there was that other Vault 7-inch that had what was it ain't no sweeter than that was the flip side it was ain't no sweeter than Rita Rita blues, blues yeah which was that that jam uh, so there's two and then you know technically two city lights that was on the that's Jack White acoustic true, yeah. collection that's an outtake from that session so there's another song that could be on there Amazonian lights walking with a ghost alternate takes alternate takes where the hell did this go I know I have it somewhere dude um. Give me a sec. All right, here's a bunch of different shit. A bunch of unnamed stuff. Jeez, great. All right, get behind me, Satan. GBMS, that's how I... Get behind me, Satan Sessions. You're emailing your brother right now, and you're like, guess what I got? <laughs> Demos, jamming. There's a demo for Forever for Her. There's a demo for Instinct Blues. God. Um, you're, you're, you're just... You're just bragging at this point. Untitled riff, Jack jamming with Brian Muldoon, possibly. Um, that might be all that exists for demos. Okay. <laughs> I see four songs. Um, I know that I have a reel that says demos on it. That's probably all, all of those are from there. These are like, they're not really fully fleshed out songs. Six minutes, seven minutes, eight minutes, eight minutes. It's just kind of goofing around. Yeah. I mean, I know he, he but, tapes over stuff all the time for that. Not this kind of stuff. Oh, really? Okay. I mean, this stuff wasn't taped over. So we shall see. I don't know. Um, I feel like we kind of already really did the big Satan push. Yeah. But there's, you know, there's stuff that's all, you know, always turning up. As much as as everything has been saved and properly stored, not everything has been properly documented and transferred. Right. I'm still finding new stuff. Finding stuff in our vaults, finding stuff in my basement. I found a tape the other day. And I was like, "Oh shit, that's a that's a vault package right there. That's a package for 2020." But I'm not going to tell you what it All is. Right. You have to wait. All and be right. patient. Well, the the release of that Blondie cover was amazing enough to hold me over for another couple of years. So, <laughs> that was um, a good one, wasn't it? Let's go to the next question. Mm-hmm. 
So Paul says this one's a little embarrassing. So this one comes from episode 25. The uh, assertion we made, uh, apologies to Brooke Wagoner, uh, we said Brooke Wagoner was pregnant and left the Blunderbuss tour about halfway through, replaced by Bryn Davies. The correction was, no, that's not true. Bryn Davies was the pregnant bassist for that tour and was later replaced by Catherine Popper. So we just got a lot mixed up there. Yeah, you did. Can, can you tell us a little bit about how the Buzzards and Peacocks were chosen for that tour? It seems like an amazing feat. As someone who is experiencing my wife's pregnancy secondhand right now, the fact that uh, someone who is pregnant could go on tour uh, seems like an amazing Herculean feat. Was Bryn hesitant at all to tour during her pregnancy? I don't recall any hesitancy, but I think it was you know planned ahead of like, hey, I can only do X amount of touring. If you guys are into that, I'm game. But just so you know, like I'm going to have to check out for a second. Mm-hmm. I think it was all known up front. But in terms of like how all that came together, all the different bands and the players on them, you know, I wasn't terribly involved in it. I guess, I guess the one thing I would say is they were looking that I can comment on was I remember them looking for a keyboard player. They wanted a keyboard player mm-hmm. and they're trying to find someone to make suggestions. And I said, hey, man, what about going back to that same, uh, I think I mentioned this with your brother, not you, but the uh, Australian tour, uh, Big Day Out in mm-hmm. January 2006. It was the White Stripes were headlining the shows, but it was a big festival. So Stooges were on there, Franz Ferdinand, Greenhorns, Kings of Leon, Slater Kinney. But also on there was Mars Volta. And I remember this is early 2006, so they were getting ready to ramp up for that was going to be a Rack and Tours year. That's when Broken Boy Soldiers came out. Right. And remember everyone watching Mars Volta and everyone kind of being like, this fucking keyboard player is awesome. This guy's amazing. And people kind of saying like, man, should he be like, should we get him to play keys? Like as that auxiliary member of the Tours? And for some reason or another, some, somehow or another, it didn't, didn't work or he was busy or, you know, it ended up being Dean Fertitta, who's great and yeah. totally awesome that it's him. But when Jack was trying to prep the solo touring, solo album stuff, looking for a keyboard player, I was like, hey, what about Ike from Mars Volta? Like, I don't think they're doing anything anymore. And Jack's tour manager at the time of planning all this is Lalo, Lalo Medina, who had, the way we met him was he was tour managing Mars Volta on that tour. Really? Yes. And so he's like, uh, so I think he was involved pretty early on. I said, hey, do you think IQ would want to do this? He's like, are you fucking kidding? Like, he would love to do this. This is, he's like, I don't, I don't, I think he said, I don't even feel like I need to ask him. Yes, he's in. So that was how he got brought into the fold. Wow. Which is pretty awesome. And, you know, the interactions we were able to have with him, you know, he's passed away. Mm -hmm. Um, But very, very happy to have known him and had the interactions we did. Yeah, he seemed, uh, he seemed like a really genuine dude who, really just enjoyed music we saw yeah. him hanging out you know kind of side stage during olivia jean's set oh, wow. during lazaretto i think in merryweather in maryland yeah but yeah that's crazy i had no idea that a that's where lalo was <laughs> brought into the fold and b yeah. that's where ike was well the next question we have comes from episode 29 we made no mention of the artist whip triplet in our jack the drummer spotlight episode the correction we got, Whip Triplet is rumored to be Jack's drumming alter ego. Can you confirm or deny this, Ben? Is Whip Triplet Jack White? Man, I don't, I don't 
I, I don't know what I can say here. If not, please feel free to tell us a tale of a dangerous encounter with Whip on the mean streets of Nashville. I think it's just a polite pass on that All one. All right, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll grill you some more about uh, Co's missing van, because I'm still yeah. still pretty sure you're the one who took that and uh, you know got her <laughs> some insurance money for that. So, <laughs> you know, the, the pegs are starting to align. I have, some theories. You know, your face and a van on a board. <laughs> Uh, the next question comes from episode 36. We said that uh, you need to try and rip the sticker off the center of uh, the Sea of Cowards vinyl in order to play the groove pressed into that area. And not only is that not true, and it's not the center area, it's not really a sticker. It's the label that's kind of pressed into the record itself, and you don't need to rip anything to listen to those grooves. Whose idea was it to press a hidden track into the center label? And has that been done before were you guys the first to think of that that was 100 percent jack's idea okay uh surprisingly uh, not surprisingly people may be surprised to hear that was jack's idea okay i'm not surprised and it was just we were talking about you know ways to hide music and there's not really anywhere to hide music on an lp and jack had just had that he's like well what if you just cut here and it was his idea originally when we were talking about it. It's like people could just like peel the label off and they can play it. So we were trying to find ways to peel or to soak a label off. Hmm. I had a a bucket here in the office that we'd put an LP in soaking for weeks. I think I just put a sign on it that just said, don't touch science experiment. <laughs> and took it out and didn't really do anything. It just made it all kind of gooey. Um, but we soon realized we had someone do a test thing, press paper over regular grooves, and you could hear the song to it. So our thoughts were, well, shit, we did the whole science experiment for nothing. And so I was then talking to the engineers, our cutting engineers, George Ingram at Nashville Record Productions. He said, oh, he's like, I got to do an override on the lathe. But yeah, he's like, I can, I can cut in that area. I can cut where the, the label should be. I can't cut much. He's like, maybe 30 seconds. Like shit, that's better than nothing. So yeah. that's what we did, and, and yes, one hundred percent, we were the first people to ever do that. Wow! If someone else did, I would love that to be on your next corrections episode. But I'm almost positive that no one had done it before. Wow! May I recommend as a new way to hide music, putting a higher melting point plastic inside the wax, and you have to melt your record in order to hear another forty-five inside. Actually, you already did that. You have the triple decker. What am I kidding? We did a record sealed inside a record, yeah. yeah. No, we have dealt with, we did get talking into trying to make records involving low melting point metals. Oof. That was super, super, like beryllium, I think, maybe. Like it melts at like 75 degrees or something yeah. like that. Trying to have controlled temperature, like something. Trying to make a record that would would stay in a room, and if it ever left that room, it would disintegrate or something like that but that uh i I can't i don't know if that actually happened or we just got fed up and frustrated yeah that sounds frustrating (laughs) (laughs) for everyone involved Uh, we have one more question here from episode 38 we said that uh it's unclear if jack had heard the rolling stones version of stop breaking down before or after the robert johnson version and then the correction was that we had heard jack say that he had heard the rolling stone version after the track was recorded for the white stripes debut so he 
definitely hadn't heard it before. We know that Jack is close with Mick and Keith. Have they kept in touch, do you know? And are we ever going to hear any musical collaboration between the two? Because we know it was rumored for quite some time, and we don't know if anything was laid down or any plans were made. Is there any any involvement there? Well, first off, let me speak to the correction. My understanding is that, you know, that's the Rolling Stones Stop Breaking Down is on Exile on Main Street, one okay. of their most classically loved albums. Yeah. My recollection of it is Jack definitely saying, oh, I've definitely listened to Exile on Main Street. I think he just never connected that uh. their version of Stop Breaking Down was a cover of Robert Johnson. Maybe he hadn't listened to it a ton, and that's why he didn't make the connection. Right. But it was kind of just, they were drawing almost exclusively from the Robert Johnson version. Okay. And it was kind of, I, I, and, and in hindsight thinking like, oh, shit, if, we, if I remembered or known or retained the fact that the Stones had covered that song, I maybe wouldn't have done it. I maybe wouldn't have done it for our album. Hmm. So there's that. In regards to working, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, what's his name? Mick Jagger. Lamming Cup was here in Nashville and he was like checking out a bunch of different studios in town. Hmm. And so he definitely came by and I don't, um, I don't know if he recorded at Jack's. He was definitely there. And then later that day he came in and it was the death from above 1979 show Mm -hmm. was that night. And he walked in and he was going and walking in the blue room and he got like right at the door and someone opened the door and he, he turned around and he's like, it's, he says, it's too loud. I can't go out there. I'm going to destroy my ears. And I remember saying to, I was not far from him, but saying like almost screaming to the rest of the office, like something to equivalent of find me some fucking earplugs right now. <laughs> uh, if Mick Jagger is not going into the blue room because he doesn't want to hurt his ears, we're going to make sure his ears are okay because I want him in the blue room. Watching Death from Above, 1979. Yeah. So we found some earplugs, and uh, he went out there, and uh, you know, all was all was right with the world. Wow, that's that's <laughs> that's nuts. I can attest the Blue Room very loud in a good way. I enjoy it, but uh, yeah. we had to um, we had to leave halfway through going back to Memphis in the Soledad Brothers set because the baby was kicking so fast so furiously uh that we we said it's it either loves dr walker or it really really is uncomfortable and then i looked up the cdc guidelines for loud music and pregnancy and it's like no you shouldn't go in on in a place over 75 decibels and i was like oh no that's way more okay so we we skidaddle out there yeah, but at least I could say I saw like half their set, so I was happy about that. Yeah, that's good enough. Good enough. Yeah. The funny thing after the Death from Above show, it's laid out, and and Mick's like, "Hey guys, you guys want to go get dinner?" And he like asked Jack, and Jack, well, I think Jack was by himself. He's like, "I don't like want to just go me and Mick. You guys want to come like me and Swank and uh, maybe some other folks too." So like we got to, you know, I guess when you're Mick Jagger, you can just walk into a place at eleven o'clock and they'll serve you dinner. Um, <laughs> it's my read on it. And uh, we started talking about whatever, just things. And I think Detroit got brought up. And so I said, oh, you guys recorded at uh, United Sound Studios, the Rolling Stones studio? He said, no, we didn't. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure you did. No, no, we didn't. <laughs> okay, whatever. Like, I've heard this 
this story for half of my adult life. So whatever, I had to go to the restroom and went, or I'm pulling out the iPhone. I'm Googling this shit. Like, I'm going to go back and I'm going to have answers for him. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to prove him wrong. I'm going to tell him where he recorded. And I looked it up and apparently Keith Richards and Ron Wood recorded, I think they recorded like a, a track with Aretha Franklin there. But it gets said the Rolling Stones recorded there. Okay. So I had to come back to the meal and say, ah, you didn't record there. It was Keith and Ron. My mistake. Wow. Have fun eating your food. I feel like a douchebag. <laughs> and then later, I think Jack was like, did you just go look that up in the bathroom? <laughs> Listen, I had to figure some things out. <laughs> Truth is more important than authenticity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, I guess, I guess it takes balls to try and correct the people you you look up to cough cough us talking to um (laughs) to third man records co-owner ben blackwell so there's that thank you again for being on the show those corrections all come from uh tam davis kate mccoy jeremy riles thank you guys for correcting us thank you ben for the extra level of correction Uh, my pleasure you know i i if i ever find the the time to listen through all of your episodes i've listened through some of them not all of them because there's a lot. Oh, God forbid you ever get to Carl Butterball. There's a <laughs> lot. You guys have a lot of episodes. Yeah. But if I ever – I should have just – let's make the point of saying that this whole part comes from me saying you guys have a lot of mistakes on your show. Oh, yeah. And I wish I had the time to correct them all. Oh, yeah. And then you guys said, well, let's talk about the stuff that's already been corrected because I haven't been sitting there keeping notes when I've listened to episodes. Uh, but maybe I should. In the future. It's almost like you have something better to do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) As Jack White said, Johnny Depp said once. Yes. (laughs) Oh, man. Thank you again, Ben. Seriously, uh, for everything you guys do and for uh, being so patient with us throughout all our technical difficulties and throughout just having a podcast and you being cool with it. It means the world to us. And uh, you're welcome on the show anytime to tell us how wrong we are. And um, yeah, come back soon. It's my pleasure. Congrats on 100 episodes. Most podcasts don't get to five, so you're doing something right, I guess. <laughs> We're attempting. Right is a yes. is a harsh term. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Ben. My pleasure. Take care. Well, we'd like to thank Ben Blackwell once again for joining us and correcting us and being so wonderful. Such a pleasure talking with Ben. Yes, we've been so wrong throughout these past few years that it's nice to have someone telling us we're bad. It's refreshing. It's nice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We are the bad boys of podcasting. Yeah. Or maybe we're just bad at podcasting. It's one of those two. We are boys who are bad at podcasting, not the bad boys of podcasting. It's a marketing thing. They Okay. We'll figure it out. We'll fix it in post. Yeah, exactly. Super great to talk to you, Ben. Thank you so much. You're welcome anytime to correct us for all of the things we've done wrong. Please look into Carl Butterball. I'd love to hear your uh, thoughts and prayers on that one. We would like to uh, give some shout-outs, though. It's, a, it's, it's our 100th anniversary. We've got to shout-out some people, Paul. We've got new people on the face and books, actually all over. Uh, honestly, this has been quite a busy week. Yes. And we have uh, people all over the Internet talking to us, telling us things. We'd like to thank 
people such as Angie Gemmel Stoll. Real quick shout out to Angie. Angie was one of my line friends at the Amoeba show. Oh, nice. Uh, she unfortunately missed out at the secret show, but uh, she was there with us in spirit. Her and her husband were super sweet, and uh, they're both big Bruce Springsteen fans. Awesome. And so that was really cool. We, we talked uh, quite a bit. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, that's great. So thank you, Angie. And maybe I'll see you at some point at another show. Yeah. Uh, we'd like to thank Tracy Gong. I think we've thanked Tracy Gong before, but thanks again. Terry Fryer Franciscan. Uh, thank you so much. Julie Barbelben. I like that last name. That's a good last name. It's got a lot of mm-hmm. good hard B sound. Yeah, good hard Bs, yeah. Uh, we'd like to thank uh, Heather Peacock, Sheila Lacombe, Leanne Bell, or Leanne Ball, Set the Scene, Ray Ann, Jeff Francis, so many people all over. You guys are great. And uh, we also like to shout out some regular listeners to the show. In fact, I think I'm just going to go down this whole list today because right. it's our 100th episode, and why not? We have Ben the Beer Man Blues Carnes. We have Kate McCoy, the Bones of the Operation. Jeremy Riles, keeping us on those rails. My oh me, it's me oh my. Andre Ice Cold Lyman. Eileen, we see you over there. Corsano. Tam Davis, our third person in spirit every week. Adrian King, the punk rock queen. We have Red Red Rain Prosper. Amy Hart, the heart of the operation. LOL 2.0 is very funny. We have Eric Andrew Dotson over here. David Poe. I say Franco, still don't know what it means. 100 episodes later. How do you like that? <laughs> Yvette Wilkins, Wilkins on Sunshine. Brennan and Smith. We have Brian Walter, be nicer to me. We have no right opinion for you here. Go away. We have Vito Hicks, the flying Vito. The Brett 3 killed my Garski. Nick Langford, lang you up from the heavens. We have Stu Cat, who is martyr for my love for Stu. Or. And or Stu Driver, but I do I do still like the Martyr from I don't know. Stu Driver, maybe that is the better one. <laughs> They're both good. He's both. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Butterball Ledford. We have Melissa Swinka, who is part of the Melistocracy. We have the Shane Ben Jam Session, or the Shane Boy you've always known. And I'd like to add a new one today. Luke yes. Sinclair. Ah, uh, yes. And I, uh, uh, what are we going to call Luke? Uh, I, I had a thought about Luke. And it was Luke Me Over Closely. Ooh, I like that one. Do you like that? That was that may be the easiest one we've had. <laughs> I know, it makes me feel like it's bad because we came up with it so easily. Right. But you know what? Let's not look a gift name in the mouth. Yeah, um, let's not look a gift name in the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you guys again, all of you. You know, we read them all today, the, our, our normal shout outs today, because honestly, we couldn't do this podcast without you. I'm not going to get too mushy here because I realize people don't listen to the end of a podcast all the time. So the shopkeeping isn't uh, isn't always the most interesting. But thank you guys so much. It, it really means a lot. We couldn't have done this podcast without you. And we are continuing to do it because you guys are so great and lovely and we've made so many friends and enemies and uh we (laughs) really we love you all thank you so much for letting us get to 100 and staying listening to the show for however many episodes you've listened to even if you've listened to a couple minutes of one that's that's fantastic and we we really appreciate it agreed and a special shout out to our early champions i'm talking about Tam Davis, I don't think we could properly express 
how grateful we were and still are for uh, all of your support, uh, always giving us a thoughtful message about each episode. It just, it means so much. I would say, Adrian King, you were an early listener and you did a lot to help get the word out. We really appreciate that. Kate McCoy, uh, Amy Hart, both of you were, were fantastic as well. And um, Yvette Wilkins, yeah. And Yvette, Yvette was in there early on too. So, and Mia Maya was following us pretty early too. So, if you were a. Uh, wait, 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 wait. We didn't mention Joe Shaken All Over. Oh, Joe Shaken All Over! My goodness. What's my problem? I'm even wearing a Soledad Brothers t-shirt that the man got for me. Yeah, Joe's super nice. He's been interacting with us a lot recently. We really appreciate that. Uh, I, I tell you what, if you, and this is the honor system here, if you were a listener from the very beginning, because we understand that there are people that don't actually interact with us on social media that, have, that are listening to the show. We know you're out there. We can see you. Not you personally, like not don't tape your Skype thing shut on your computer, but you know what I mean. Yeah, Paul's creeping up on the phones. He could see you through your webcam. Don't be careful. Yeah, <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg's trying to keep Paul out. <laughs> if you are a listener uh, since episode one, since we came out, and again, this is honor system, send us an email. We'll send you something in the mail as a thank you. Uh, again, this is on the honor system. We're going to trust you because we are trusting folks here at the third men podcast so i don't want any nigerian princes in the mix i don't want well i want to listen to it later but i listen all you know if you listen to from the start number one when it came out shoot us an email thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com let us know i'll send you something in the mail uh it may be just a thank you card it may be a piece of swag it may be any number of things yes and on that note thank you to danielle Reevely, uh your Carl Butterball sketches on the way. Yes, if you'd like to interact with us, James, I think you could. They could. People could find us on the internet places, huh? Yeah, yeah. No, if you'd like to be one of these shoutouts, and we get all mushing stuff over it, uh, you can do that by talking to us on a number of places like Facebook, facebook.com slash thirdmen, Twitter at thirdmencast, Tumblr, thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com, WordPress thethirdmen.wordpress.com uh, you can email us at uh, thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com if you'd like to email us a uh, a screenshot of a five star sloppy review I will draw you a Carl Butterball sketch an original James Kaminsky sketch of Carl Butterball direct to your door if you screenshot a five star review that you are giving and email it to us at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com you can find us on Pippa uh, that's where our show is located. Uh, we love Pippa. I love Pippa. I'm in a romantic relationship with Pippa. <laughs> Don't tell my wife. You could find us there. Uh, just search the Third Man Podcast uh, and and Pippa, and uh, it'll it'll get you to the right place. You can search us on YouTube. We finally have enough subscribers on YouTube. Thanks to you all uh, for going there. At least a, a quite a number of you. Uh, so we finally have our, a custom URL for our YouTube site, which took a while. Uh, so you can go to <laughs> youtube.com slash C slash the third men podcast. Uh, so that's, that's there. You can find visualizers, animations, and uh, interview excerpts that we have up. We have a couple interview excerpts up now, uh, one from Rob Jones and another from Emmett Malloy. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoy those in a nice condensed format where you can just, you know, listen to a little bit of a funny story at your, 
your own leisure. Anyway, please rate, review, and subscribe. Like I said, sloppy review, you get a Carl Butterball sketch. Five stars, please, though. Yeah, and you got to take a screenshot and, and email it to us. Make sure you do that. Uh, if you have a listener question, please feel free to send it over to us on any of our social channels. And we would like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help in the recording of our theme song, We're the Third Men. And we'd also like to thank Susanna Roundtree for the lovely intro and outro of our program. Now, James, is a special treat for episode 100. I am going to play us out after the little end credits here with the original demo of the Ooh. We're the Third Men song that I sang myself alone in my bedroom <laughs> so that I could then take it into the studio and record the version that you've all been hearing every episode with Sam and Tom. We actually did that version. Uh, well, it wasn't even, this is before Sam and Tom and I were even going to a studio. Actually, we, <laughs> we stacked mattresses all around Sam Kubert's bedroom and he has a bunch of professional audio equipment and we all spent a steamy afternoon in a, in Sam's bedroom doing take after take of, me playing guitar, Tom playing guitar, and then us all doing different vocal takes. One of which was a vocal take of me and Tom shouting down the hallway so that Sam could capture the audio on his microphone at the end of the hallway so we could get an, a, a more uh, a fuller register on the combined vocal when it was all mixed together. And then the funniest thing about that was there was no percussion added Sam, when he was mixing the the track in Pro Tools, literally just took a ruler and a coffee can and made a percussion track. And so that's what you hear at the end there. It's just that's just Sam after we left throwing on some rudimentary percussion of shit that was just laying around his desk. And that's how the story of the, wow. the Third Men theme song came to be and if anyone was wondering it is just a slight variation on apple blossom uh and uh, susanna when i played her the demo for the first time said what's elephant men because she thought i was saying elephant men she's like what does that mean it's because we loved the album elephant yeah yeah maybe that's the variation of our our show name that we just never wow <laughs> we never used yeah. well yeah. some say elephants never forget so, paul but we forget a lot of things. Anyway, that's the secret origin of the Third Men theme song for anybody wondering. And uh, and so that's why I thank Sam and Tom every episode because they really did put a lot of effort into that with me for not, you know, just to just to uh just to help get the show off the ground. So that's uh that was really cool of them. And yeah. I really do appreciate all that they all that they did early on. Yeah, thank you guys so much. And thank you everybody. And uh Paul, I think that'll do it for this episode. Uh, for episode 100... Before we go, James. Yeah. Uh, a lot of you out there might know my wife is very pregnant right now, uh, and we are expecting a baby boy in the near future. So um, we are going to be taking a slight hiatus. We apologize. We will be back in two months in September. Yeah, we'll be back in September. That'll be our next episode so yeah we'll have a couple best ofs up but but we'll be back in september and what we're really trying to do is make sure we're banking episodes and making sure that we uh we we've got all our ducks in a row there because yeah james and i have uh are both with children now and so 
uh, we're, we're just making sure that we are providing a sustainable avenue for us to continue to make these shows for you because we have no plans to stop the show. We look forward to continuing on and, and coming back in the fall. And as we said, we'll have some best ofs for you in the meantime, kind of like last year, only it's yeah. going to be a little bit of a longer break. Not to be a dirty, rotten tease or anything, but we do have some interviews already done. Yes, we do. You know, maybe stick around. Maybe keep us, uh, you know, keep us in your mind. I'll, I'll still have some, you know, YouTube stuff coming out. But yeah, mostly going to be kind of getting used to being a dad. And Paul will be, you know, <laughs> spending time with his family for once instead of with me. So, um, <laughs> well, James, that's a trick question because you yeah. are family. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. Uh, we're, we're again, no plans to stop the show. We are just going on a little bit of a summer break, but we'll be back in September, and we're going to be. Uh, I, I guess you could say we uh, could use your thoughts and prayers. Mm. Mm-hmm. for when we return because we may be bored enough to raise up a new multi-part episode about a certain new LP that we just all got. Yeah, and you might say that I am telling Paul to don't bother me <laughs> <laughs> because I'm having an only child. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, you might say, we're going to come back and talk about Help a Stranger, the album by the Tours. <laughs> That's what we're doing. We're, we'll be back with that and uh, some, some, fun, some fun goodies that go along with that. But yeah. We'll see you guys in September. Bye. Oh, wait, James. I've, I'll be looking for a home in September when our, when our show's coming back. Yeah, and I'll be looking for a home in a yearbook where I can write hags, meaning have a great summer. See ya! Bye! Bye! For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time! Men theme song, take four.
tell him to turn off the fucking Apple TV. You watched enough Dora the Explorer. This is your business, man. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start. Okay, me too. So we'll do three, two, one, go. Okay, ready? Just hit record right now. Okay. I don't know. Do, do, we, do we do a count in? Is that what we're supposed to do? We typically do a count in. Are you comfortable with a count in? Yeah, um, me and your brother uh, did one, and it was glorious. Oh, man. He always gets there first. Uh, yeah. All right. Sounds good. Me, 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 me. Did I, what did I say? You said January. July 26th and 27th. June. <laughs> June. Up. Holy <laughs> Uh, not a lot of good hard M's though, so you know you got your hard B M's in there. Um, oh, that was bad. Cut that. No, don't do that. Don't. <laughs> well, welcome to a very special tag team episode of the Third Men Disaster Cast. Punched buttholes. I did the go. You didn't have to. All right. Nice. Uh, okay. So, uh, well, we'll take it right to the next question then. Um, <laughs> and by whatever, everyone, white I blood mean, like, cells. I don't remember what the hell he wrote. Uh, t- oh, it was blood cells. Yeah, I'm even wrong. We never did elephant. Oh, yeah. Whoops. <laughs> Sloppy. Um... There's only two of them, so please go there. Uh, <laughs> I think that was a that was I think I was throwing shade on them there. I didn't mean to. Uh, go buy stuff from them; they're great. Um, cool. Okay, thanks, Ben. Bye. Bye. I'm Paul Kaminsky. I'm James Kaminsky. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. And we bring you the Kaminsky family of podcasts Yesterday and Today and the Third Men podcast. You might know me from one of those dumb voices I do, or my dad (laughs) from his better show than ours. (laughs) Wow. And we're here to tell you about some cool merchandise you can pick up for the shows. As we mentioned in each episode, we do not in any way profit from these shows whatsoever, but to break even on some expenses, we have put up some cool merch that you can pick up to help support the show. Yes, some fun apparel, things you can put on yourself. Are we going to be selling Marks and Spence underwear? <laughs> Don't worry, we will. <laughs> you can head to our social media pages. That's facebook.com slash yesterday and today podcast or facebook.com slash third men. Or you could head to society Six dot com slash Kaminsky family podcast. That's society, the number six dot com slash K-A-M-I-N-S-K-I family podcasts. Yeah, keep our lights on. I'm in the dark. Dad, any words of wisdom? Hello? The lights just went out. (laughs) Guys, we need your help. (laughs) Buy stuff. Perhaps a coffee mug that you can enjoy a beverage out of while listening to our shows. And if you haven't got yours, please send Foth in and get a free one. All right. 
thank you, Dad. All right, we'll see you on the podcast, folks. Bye. It's audio. You can't see oh, me. For God's sake. <laughs>